At the Rabbit Room, we're always saying that art nourishes community and community nourishes art. Here's another way to say the same thing. We can all be allies in bringing good, beautiful, true things into the world. One way you can be an ally with the musicians and writers and artists whose work you care about is to leave a review. It helps other people find and benefit from the work that has meant something to you. And if you want to leave a review for this podcast, well, that'll be okay too. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Chris Wall is a film producer in Nashville. He was at Big Idea Productions for 11 years, working on Veggie Tales and 321 Penguins and other projects. He produced the Wing Feather Saga short film, in which he was the voice of Jenner Igaby, and he's also the executive producer of the Slugs and Bugs television show. Oh, Chris Wall, thank you so much for uh, being on the Habit Podcast today. Glad to be here. Uh, this was not an easy day for you to make time. I, I don't know exact what, what exact date this is going to air, but today that we're the day we're recording is the release date for the Slugs and Bugs television show. It is first time for families to get to see the whole thing, and it's been fun. I've gotten texts already from friends and family with photos of their kids watching the show. Oh, that's great! It's pretty great. Okay, so you are the producer mm-hmm. of the Slugs and Bugs show. Yep. You're gonna have to help me out here because I'm I'm not in that business. Tell me tell me what a, a television and film producer does, and this may be a complicated answer, but no, I can simplify it. So we have to go to sports analogy. Okay, good. Can we work this? Okay, so a producer is a lot like a coach. Okay. Okay. So if we use football as that template, then it's about organizing the resources to best accomplish whatever goal that is. Okay. So in this case, it's a creative goal. Uh, and the nuance of that relationship to the talent, right? Uh-huh. So the quarterback being possibly the director, if you were to go that far with this analogy, uh-huh. um, and then the different players being key positions, your talent, your uh, cinematographers, your editors, all those talent pieces. The producer is the one in charge of deciding which talent is the right ones to have for this project. Okay. I had my, my family ask me, hey, did you have so-and-so from VeggieTales? You know, and this. And there were some elements where there were talent that aligned perfectly, like Kurt Heineke, composer, mm-hmm. to bring in musically on Slugs and Bugs, because they were very similar. Uh, you know, with Wingfeather, a uh, very different kind of thing. And so a lot of that talent pool stayed on that project, didn't cross mm-hmm. to Slugs and Bugs, right? So mm-hmm. it's just a different kind of thing. Producing between film, television, and theater is also very different. So um, in television, and there's... <laughs> There's a funny thing that occurred some years ago where there's always someone who pitches the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, what if we did a thing about a thing? Yeah. That person is the one who then is kind of responsible creatively to make sure that whoever buys that, whether that's a network or a studio, gets that, right? Okay. So they get, I got a thing with the Tom Cruise doing a thing with a thing with a helicopter, right? Okay. Great. We want that. Okay. Somebody's responsible creatively. Now, there's other people that are responsible you know, in fiduciary ways. There's other Uh people that are responsible in um, marketing ways. But one person's responsible creatively. Um, The producer sits in that role. Okay. Making sure that's what delivers. Now, they'll use a director in film. That's a significant role because that director is going to make so much of the voice of that thing. In television, the director is a lesser role um, in that they're the ones who uh, call the shots. It's going to be a wide shot, then a close shot. They describe how the thing's going to be shot. But the executive producer, whoever that creator, oversees all that to make sure it stays on target, 
that it becomes a thing. So Networks got frustrated with this some years ago and coined a term showrunner. Yeah. You may have heard that. Yep. And that is someone who runs the creative top to bottom for a whole series of television. Okay. Uh, and so that's my role. So okay. I You're the showrunner for the show Slugs and Bugs. So I got pitched the idea, what if Randall did a TV show with Slugs and Bugs? And it was, well, maybe we could just have him with some kids singing some songs and it'd be a little that, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I pitched back, well, what if it was a character-driven show, we make a world, blah, 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 populate with characters, Randall's the host, da-da-da. And I pitched that back. The network basically, if you will, bought that and like, yes, we want that. Okay. Now it's my job to find the writers that we need for that, to find the cast we need to to build the characters, mm-hmm. right? All that sort of thing. So, so anyways, long explanation, but that's producer does shift a little bit. Some are more, and, and then the title is executive producer, but there's a lot of executive producers. There's executive producers who are the money people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who kind of organize the deals, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and there's executive producers who are the creative. And so I fall into that bucket. Gotcha. Okay. And is is there somebody whose title for this show is executive producer? Correct, Brock Starnes. So okay. we both are executive producers. Okay. Uh, I often introduce myself as producer because it's what people understand because mm-hmm. I'm the boots on the ground, you know, making the thing. Uh, and Brock is the kind of business side, mm-hmm. if you will, closing the deals, doing gotcha. the contracts, with all the talent. I, you know, go find the talent. He does the deals, and then off we go. Okay. All right. Okay. So so you said you. Somebody pitched the idea of a Slugs and Bugs TV show to you, yeah. but they didn't pitch the idea of what the show is. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you have any... Can you even answer this question? How did you get to... I hear this music that Randall has been making for 10 or 12 years now, mm-hmm. and I think that could be a a narrative, you know, a world. Yeah. And so let me go back to 2000, I think it was five or six. Kurt Heineke, who was doing music for us at Veggies, came back from Ryman, Behold the Lamb of God, having played with Andrew. And Andrew handed him the Andrew Slugs Peterson. and Bugs. Andrew Peterson, sorry. The Slugs and Bugs and Lullabies very first CD. Uh-huh. And he brought it to the office. Hey, Chris, this is this really fun project. You listen to it. I have a strong aversion to kids' music projects. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I did not open it. Uh-huh. I turned and handed it to my sweet wife and said, hey, babe, look, a Christian kid CD. And she went, ha, these are terrible. Uh-huh. Called me the next day in the van and said, honey, did you listen to this at all? I said, no, I didn't even open it. She's like, it's great. Uh-huh. We love it. You need to listen to it. And I was like, really? So I went home, listened to it, and was delighted. And it reminded me of the Smothers Brothers. Hmm. The relationship yeah. that Andrew and Randall had, this mm-hmm. kind of yeah. straight man, funny man, but just this warm camaraderie. It, there's just something in there. And so I actually ended up inviting the two of them to write some silly songs with Larry for Vengeance. Okay, so that's how they That's, that's how, they how I up. first met Andrew, first met Randall, okay. was through silly songs, right? Uh-huh. And it was... I knew they had some silly songs. I knew you were at Veggie Tales, but I didn't realize that's how all that yeah, happened. Yeah, and then, of course, Randall has gone on with it. But but for me, that was the core, was there's, a, there's something here. Um, and mm-hmm. how these songs came to life. There's a story between Andrew and Randall. There's a story between some of the characters that are referenced in different parts of it. There's mm-hmm. something. And so uh, the New Zealand series, Flight of the Concords, you know, it does a lot of that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Basically, so we, definitely a nod to, to oh, wow. what they were doing about how, where did the tiger song come from? You mm-hmm. know, in Slugs. Where did Tractor, Tractor, which is the first one we did, where did that come from? Well, that uh-huh. was fun to think of, like, well, of course, Andrew would have a tractor that he's excited about, you know, uh-huh. and, yeah. and think about how that song could unfold and, and let that moment, which is in the CDs, 
it's a very funny turn where Randall's singing a song and then Andrew kind of takes it a different direction and it's very silly. Let that unfold right for the audience. Uh-huh. So that was an easy one. And then each song was kind of that way. Now, some are more thematic, right, where they don't have a story narrative inside. And so then it's thinking about how applicable is that song? And so I, I kind of defined one of two ways for our writers that we would get to a song. One is we would just go into a song cold. Mm-hmm. That we walk in the workshop, Randall's been working on something out of a scripture or a life experience, and boom, we hit a song. And then the rest of that episode, we're going to just explore the thematics of that song. Mm-hmm. Um, others, we would have an adventure, some experience the characters go into, uh, and then the song kind of comes out of that. And, uh-huh. and you know, So either we're expressing the truth or challenging it by hearing it first, or we're finding it and kind of summing up, if you will. Um, and, and anyways, once built, it was it was just a matter of kind of figuring it out. But then, I, I mean, the next stop in that is obviously, okay, well, who are the characters that populate it? Um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, when you build out a cast, of course, you have just different characteristics you're looking for to identify mm-hmm. with your audience. And so you kind of, it's a little just mechanical, right? Yeah. You want uh, this type of character who's fun-loving and this type who loves to build, this one who loves to uh, maybe create, this one who loves to read, you know, and mm-hmm. like we knew the facets we wanted and mm-hmm. and had built out uh, the workshop to to accommodate those spaces, you know, mm-hmm. that we wanted to encourage. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I hadn't thought about that. The, the 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 geography of the workshop has to absolutely, yeah. It that. actually started. That was the very beginning. Was we started with the workshop. I knew what I wanted to see for areas that we wanted for the for the kids to be able to explore and our cast to be in part of, um, and sent out to this uh, wonderful concept artist uh, who who just brought that to life. And mm. largely, what you see on screen is is this very early beautiful concept drawing that she created huh. um uh, uh tessa and um and then it's just fight figuring out okay how do the characters live in that space it's interesting because i think the different expressions of that are from my years and years of experience in the rabbit room and hutch mood huh. so i remember watching the hutch mood the first time and and pete had invited me right uh-huh. to talk about film stuff in one of the and i walked in and i was like oh this isn't just writers talking about books or musicians talking about songs they were working on, but it was all these other very specific expressions of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think I fit in that crowd hmm. and found that I did, that uh-huh. in, in this very kind of, I don't know, it feels like roughshod medium of film and television, I had a, a thing to offer, right? Uh-huh. And so um, largely creating the show was thinking about like, well, could I model the halls of Hutchmoot, huh. you know, and that there'd be somebody who really loves to paint and, oh, we got to have somebody who loves to bake and cook and make great food. And, you know, yeah. like, yeah. so I hope that when folks in the rabbit room community see it, that huh. they can pick up on that That's interesting. expression. And of course we have a library and the characters loving to read and maybe even thinking about writing, yeah. you know, the, the yeah. episode three is on uh, two characters are thinking about writing a story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course they are, you know, like, <laughs> so it, it, there, a lot of that alignment is there where other kids shows may align for different things. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, about the, the kid who's into construction stuff. It's a little more broad strokes. Yeah. I'm an engineer. I'm an astronaut. I'm a doctor, you know? Yeah. Uh, ours is much more in this space of That's creativity. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Doug the Slug is a, is a reader of uh, the, the Russians, the mm-hmm. Russian novelists. Yes. Um, where'd, where'd that idea come from? Yeah. So, so we wanted Doug to be the reader, for sure. Yeah. And then um, we'd, we'd cast Doug and Sparky as a little bit older, 
So hmm. they're maybe in their 20s, let's say. Okay. Right? It, it's just character-wise. You know, that we wanted Maggie and Morty to be the kids. Okay. So the kids watching the show are like, I'm like Maggie or Morty, right? Okay. Identify with them. And Doug and Sparky are older, and they've, they've had some... So, uh, honestly, it's a very similar line to Bob and Larry, you know, that hmm. we had done with yeah. Veggie. That we had kind of targeted them as... 20s-ish, you okay. know. They've had some experience, but are not too far removed from high school and, mm-hmm. you know, that. And so, and, yeah, and building him out, one of the, the my favorite tweaks was that um, he knows everybody. That that anybody that walks in the workshop, you know, hey, Randall, what's up? Oh, Doug, how you been? I haven't seen you since Cancun. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, they have this, cr- Cancun, you what? You know, there's these crazy stories, his story about how he knows Ben Shive was an Elvis thing in Vegas, you know, like, yeah, it's right. like what? It's, yeah. And and then of course he's well read and 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 he happens to have an affinity for. Okay. I, I don't remember where that joke actually. I don't. I, I wish I could attribute which writer that came from or where those sourced. It gets to be in the development of a show. You know, you start with a concept. You know, we're going to yeah. do a show about collaboration, so thematic, and we think it'd be fun to have Ben Shive as a guest. You know, because he's a great collaborator with Randall. Okay, great. So there's your cast, and then oh man, it'd be awesome to have one of the singers that he has so many great singers that join. What about Nikki Connolly? Okay, yeah. great. We'll have Nikki join. So once that said, then it's like, well, what's the story around that? What, what do I frame that with? What's our A plot? What's our B plot? And so we break the story uh, in our writer's room in development. And that ultimately falls to my shoulders to then say, here's the outline of what's going to happen in this episode. We're going to do this, 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 and then off to one of the writers to flesh that out. Yeah. And so in the middle of all that, it's sometimes it's hard to know who had... Somebody right. asked me about a joke that somebody made, and I'm like, I don't remember who... I'd have to go like deep dive to figure out who actually wrote... Some of yeah. these are pretty clear. Like I know exactly. Oh, that was definitely you know Micah, yeah. or was definitely. Yeah. Well, somebody asked me if if Doug the Slug's Russian literature thing was a nod to that other Doug, McKelvey. McKelvey and his Russian. Uh, no, in it, fact, it it, it was pre- it was just literature. ahead of him, and it, it, and it may have actually been from Randall. Uh, yeah. But I know that one was set in before Doug joined. So Doug was late. So. Doug, love Doug McKelvey. (laughs) And we were in kind of a darkest hour of just needing to finalize these scripts and get them locked in. And and frankly, finding the right tone for a show like ours is difficult. And it's Mm. not unlike the experience I had in creating VeggieTales, where you have a particular voice that is is entertainment first with strong, uh, you know, spiritual teaching underneath, right? And mm-hmm. Rama insight. Like we really worked for what we in the veggie world called the nugget of truth. Okay. Right? What are we teaching? What is what is a child walking with? It's that little nugget they're gonna leave with. Mm-hmm. And you could find writers that could write really interesting spiritual insight things, but it'd just be boring, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just meh. It's or it's um saccharine sweet, right? Mm-hmm. And just like it's not our thing. Or it's really funny, it's punchy, it's some of the best writing you'll get. But the, all the spiritual references feel tacked on. And, yeah. and what we want is this authentic expression mm-hmm. that, like you and I, like we are in our family's lives, we are in the culture we live in, and we enjoy having fun and, and, and can make... I, it's like following Dr. Moore on Insta or Twitter, right? Like <laughs> yeah. He's like the perfect... Like he can speak about the deepest theology and then just talk about how much he loves the latest Star Wars or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. this fluidity that's uh-huh. very casual. Yeah. And that, that's what we wanted in the show. So in the writers, that that was challenging, you know, finding the mm-hmm. right people. And we got uh, Marshall was one of our writers who brought it home, as well as Drew, but uh, or Tori rather, and, uh, and Micah. But you know, one of the the challenges there is is getting a particular flavor that feels for me like the rabbit room. <laughs> it just is the rooting that so many of us are in, and and could weigh some of that. In. I had forgotten that Doug McKelvey was a screenwriter. 
mm-hmm. one of the many talents that this guy has. Yeah. And he's I know he's very funny. If you if you don't follow him on Facebook or Insta, you need to because he's very funny. <laughs> um, and I was like, we need to call Doug in. And, uh-huh. and he came along and he and I just... It, one of the other things in, your, in a writer's room is like any musicians, you've got to connect. It doesn't matter how talented that other person is. If you don't have a rapport and an ability to quickly work and have and mm-hmm. laugh at the same things, you're just, it's a tough road. And I've had many writers over the years that I've hired that great writers, but we just didn't, there wasn't a thing. Yeah. And we couldn't get anything moving with the rest of the team. And so it's not a credit issue for them. It's more of a, does it work in the room? Right. And with Doug, it was like, it was amazing. And he mm-hmm. and I, my face was pained every day going home, just laughing so much because he and I just, same type of comedy and same type of humor, you know? Yeah. Um, and so how much were you writing in, in the show? Were, were you... I don't. I don't call myself a screenwriter. So, yeah. on that note, essentially, most executive producers, showrunners, are screenwriters. Yeah. Uh-huh. There are quite a few that are not, though, okay. um, who are storytellers. But screenwriting is a very particular craft, right? Mm-hmm. That require it's structural. It's it's yeah. and dialogue has to be right there um, as you're driving the narrative spine. And and so I for the structure parts, that's my wheelhouse, yeah. which is interesting. So with Doug, he's great with words. Like he's really uh-huh. funny. His narrative spine, he's like, I'm trusting you, Chris. You you uh-huh. have a better sense of what we're building here. Uh-huh. And so that's how that partnership worked out. There mm-hmm. are some lines of dialogue that I would write, but not many. I just I'm not a great But you were writer. providing a a structure to which the exactly. other writers were, were writing as so a So usually like a three to six page outline, mm-hmm. you know, that maps through and it would have snippets of dialogue here and there if I knew exactly how I wanted the characters to engage on a subject or, or have an exchange, but largely leaving that to these great writers yeah. to come back and, you know, give us those things. Yeah. So how do you how do you do how do you do your job helping Randall create this thing without hijacking I mean where where it's still Randall's Oh man. Thing? Yeah. Same thing and for Andrew with Wingfeather it was the mm-hmm. same process where um, sometimes what what people can do is you can just go option to to work in someone's playground, right? Mm-hmm. So I could say, Andrew, I'd like to option Wingfeather Saga. I'm going to go make something out of that, right? And his creative influence and control would be lesser, right? Okay. Uh, with Randall, could have done exactly the same. You know, okay. hey, slugs and bugs, I'm going to do this, and and you just show up and speak these lines when I tell you to, right? Um, it was my intention in both cases that I wanted to protect the voice and DNA of what they had done mm-hmm. and to have them as close as possible as it would work, right? And for mm-hmm. both guys, it was a different experience. Um, Andrew was probably a little further away because I kind of got it mm-hmm. and was able to speak his voice. Um, a similar thing happened for me with VeggieTales, which is interesting that you say that. Um, early on, I just kind of got Veggie, like, as a college fan, I was one of the kids who got one of those early VHS cassettes, uh-huh. you know, and played it and was like, what is this? This is amazing, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was the Dave and the Giant Pickle, you know, mm-hmm. and Dave shows up with a pizza for his brothers, and <laughs> Jimmy leans out the tent, you know, and says, cheese in the crust, that's tremendous. And I said, <laughs> this is my show, <laughs> right, you know. And I, and myself and Phil Vischer, you know, who's been uh-huh. a part of Hutchmoot in the past, uh, just had a connection. He's like, oh, you get it. Like, you understand the DNA, and I'm just here to serve that DNA, right? Uh-huh. Same way for Andrew and for Randall. I'm here to serve the DNA. Now, in the case of Randall, I will say it was a more challenging because it was way thinner, like, mm-hmm. narratively. Sure. There sure. was a lot more to create. So there was a lot of me creating something. What do you think, Randall? 
you know, mm-hmm. and him having to work through it, you know, yeah. and I don't like that. I don't know why. Okay, well, we got to figure out why because we can't stop here. We got to figure out the next thing, you know, yeah. and and so it's a it's it's hard work. I'll be honest, and it's it's you're deep in the trenches of how would this character respond to this type of thing, you know, and would would they make this kind of joke or not, you know, yeah. and so it was a, it was a, rolled up our sleeves a lot more. Than even on Wingfeather. Wingfeather, you have four, you know, five novels to pull from that like tell yeah. you like this is what the world is, you know. Yeah. So it's really just piecing together uh, mm-hmm. through all that, you know. Um, this was listening to a lot of CDs and then just deciding, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like so, Morty Raccoon, let's say, right? So this had been a character that had shown up in the uh, episode or in the CDs, but was played by an adult male, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and yeah. not a character yet. Yeah. A funny voice, uh-huh. not a character yet. Um, so not wanting to break that, but also like making our character out of that. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things we had to work through. You know? Interesting. Uh, does Morty appear in the TV show at all? Or is yeah. it just the two little raccoons? Yeah, yeah. So Chauncey, uh, who is the head of the Sowers, right. Right, uh, does not appear yet, not in season okay. one. Okay. Uh, we were kind of choosing our cast and yeah. knew we needed Randall to play the adult. Responsible yep. adult in the room. So Chauncey was kind of redundant in that. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a raccoon, we didn't need another adult yeah. in the cast. Um, and then we had, of course, Artie, Sparky, and Doug. And so then it was, we need two kids. You know, Wait, oh, so Morty is the, is the boy raccoon? the boy raccoon. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get Morty and, I was getting Chauncey and Morty mixed up. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so one thing... When I'm, when I'm teaching writing, a lot of times I'm, I'm trying to get people out of formulaic ways of thinking mm-hmm. and but in screenwriting there are some formulas that you just don't have any choice but to mm-hmm. but to conform to yeah um talk to me about that talk to me about that a, a little bit there was a lot of tension in creating the show um in the writing team a lot of them had written for some great you know other properties um mm-hmm. and the ruts of those grooves of how you make kids entertainment mm-hmm. that is 22 minutes in length that targets this preschool audience um, is, is, is a deep rut. And mm-hmm. I was intentional about wanting to break that, uh-huh. about saying, I know that we normally wouldn't talk about this subject in this way mm-hmm. with preschoolers, but here we're going to. Okay. And it was very intentional. Um, and, and, uh, so there were there were structural references to other shows we knew you know structurally it you know in the first five minutes this happens you do all those important pieces but then being willing to say I, I realize we shouldn't do this for preschool but we're going to do this mm-hmm. because it's the kind of show we want to create which is more about attending to families right uh-huh. than than so. Uh, it, I think it's important that you know those rules, right? Know right. the structure and the formats and all the things, so that when you go to begin to pound against them and say, we're going to go a different way, you will. And it, it comes out of, we're a homeschool family, okay. six kids, and we are very much a literature-based education. Uh-huh. And early on, we were told, you know, one of the things that's challenging about having multiple ages in the kids, and you're trying to teach the older kid, you know, some, you know, deeper concept in literature while the younger are sitting around, is the youngers are lost, right? Mm-hmm. And we were encouraged, so no, no, keep reading. Read mm-hmm. to the older ones, and the little ones will get the crumbs off the table. Yeah. And they'll begin, they won't get it all, but they'll begin to develop a taste mm-hmm. for these more mature subjects. And, and honestly, I, that's what I carried into the show, was mm-hmm. we know that some phrases and ways that characters talk wouldn't be what you'd normally do on a kid's show. Uh-huh. Um, 
but we're going to go for this. And we're not going to take some of the easy routes either. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very uh, aligned with uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, where she talks about the respect that we show children and the kind of things that we offer them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that other shows are disrespectful, you know, right. but in our case, we wanted to be uh, respectful to, I'm going to talk to you as an adult about something that you need to know about. And I'm not going to gaga goo goo that mm-hmm. or sing songy, make it silly. I'm going to make it in a way that will be a little robust and you may not get all of it, but you'll get some of it. And I'll try to do it packaged in a way that is um, still entertaining and mm-hmm. um, has a little sugar on it so it's not too difficult, but we're not going to shy from that. So yeah. like when we talked about adoption, uh-huh. you know, we could have just played the note of adoptions. Great. It's so wonderful. But I wanted the counter note of and complicated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, Actually, uh, in, in Randall's episode of The Habit, he talked about this very topic of that's right. adoption and, and the way that song yeah. worked itself and, out. And, and episode after episode. And, and we'd come back with a, a screenplay come in you know, from one of our writers, and Randall and I would have read it, and I would we'd meet and talk, and, and both are the same. Like, that's nice what they're saying about this subject, but mm-hmm. it's too off the top. I want to go deeper Yeah, uh, yeah. on creativity. Uh, it is not going to be, if you create something that's really great, you'll win the prize at the local show. Mm-hmm. Uh, winning a prize has nothing to do with whether that bit of creative work was good or bad. Like, yeah, yeah. And let's get away from the winner script on that. Um, yeah. It's very hard in a preschool kid show where you're trying to do a thin line straight through. And, and so some of these got really tough, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, and I hope a we thin land li- What do you mean? What, what does that phrase mean, a thin line straight through? Well, it's just like, yeah, creativity. Yeah, make that. Oh, it's wonderful. Celebrate. And you won, and ta-da! Yeah. Like you're just there's no narrative twists in there that are interesting. It's just right through, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. in ours, we wanted some narrative twists yeah. where a character is gonna, I'm gonna make something. It's gonna be great, and it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now what? You know. Yeah. Uh, I get you know when I was asking you about about formulas. Yeah. You. Know, one thing I noticed because I've seen two episodes of the show because because sure. the the whole season just came out this morning and I didn't have a chance to watch it. But but the two episodes I've seen. Um, it was very clear that you were exploring. I mean, the the the, the I, saw, I saw I saw the episode on collaboration, which yeah, I thought yeah. was really interesting to be talking about collaboration for preschoolers, sure. and also very relevant as it turned out. Um, and so, in some, so it was obvious from what you've been saying also that you were pushing against the conventions of what what people talk about the way they talk about it, and yet it's still a twenty two. You're still there's certain conventions that you that you are not. Breaking, you know, twenty-two minute. I assume these are twenty-two minutes yeah, long, right? roughly. Yeah, and um, and that's what was interesting to me that that you were sort of accepting certain limitations and conventions, and and then within those conventions, doing something unconventional. Yeah. So narrative breaks, you know. Mm-hmm. So act breaks where you uh-huh. build up to, and then have the short segments, which yeah. you know, I really wanted that. I love that the kind of breakaway mm-hmm. in a variety show style thing yeah, where right. a character goes and does a silly thing for a few minutes. It's just like a commercial break almost, you know. Yeah. And and so that was one of the elements we wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the show, there is a pressure to start a show. So some t- people talk about us like Mr. Rogers, and I mm-hmm. think because uh, dear Randall has such a genteel personality, yeah, right. you yeah. can't not help but draw that. Right. Um, Mr. Rogers had a very... Uh, predictable pattern about how the show would mm-hmm. unfold and I wanted to push back against that and every episode as many as possible start in different places in mm-hmm. different moments mm-hmm. where we join something that's already happening mm-hmm. right that we're not at the beginning of something about to like we're in the middle collaboration they're in the middle of already writing and working on something right yeah. and then 
uh, Morty and, and Sparky are in the middle of their imaginary play with their vines swinging around the workshop. Like, yeah. it's not that they had the idea, they're going to go do it. We're in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and we don't start at the same place. You know, we're not at the door every time, like a Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers. Okay. So some of those breakups are against norm. In preschool shows, you often want a pattern. Yeah. Because the kids really like patterns, you know? Yeah. And so the countertops and veggie tails is a, is a patterning that, and and good or bad, I don't know if we'll, <laughs> yeah. but I wanted to just start different ways that it was surprising when you press play on an episode, we don't know where we're going to be, hmm. you know? Yeah. Did people on the team push back against you on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my network writers, people who'd written for television, you know, they were both pushed back and then also like, well, this is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. you know, to have some of those constraints off. And I think we're in that space now where, um, thanks to the rise of all the streaming platforms, uh, we don't have the same boundaries. One of the yeah. boundaries that's been around for years and years and years um, is adjacency. And so adjacency is if I have a television show that's playing to a uh, uh, six-year-old girl who's okay. sitting on the couch watching this, the program that comes before and after that show has to keep her in the seat. Uh-huh. If I go to a boy program, she will leave the room, and the boy may come in but may not because he was already told not to be there. Uh-huh. So gender is a really big one there. Um, mm-hmm. Age demographic uh, really drives adjacency in traditional television and kind of network where it's mm. being fed down a pipe. That all got thrown out the moment we started streaming, yeah. right? Now the child chooses where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have the freedom to have dual genders, right? And so I wanted to make sure we had a show that had boys and girls present, right, uh-huh. with their different personalities. I want to make sure we had not only the builder kind of kid who's being attended to by our show, but also the more creative mm-hmm. kid who wants to write and paint be attended to. That is some of the limitations of, of the adjacency of networks didn't allow for that in the past. Now they uh-huh. do. Uh-huh. So in that open landscaping, we joked a second ago about the runtime. Is it 22 minutes-ish? Yeah. <laughs> That's not the same anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, if you watch right. any series on Netflix or Amazon or other uh-huh. place, they're around a certain right. hour, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and we had the same freedom where we could mm-hmm. really explore uh, the length. And then, uh, you know, just, I mean, how we're going to... Uh, think about what who's sitting on the couch and in our case we always thought about family sitting together incidentally and talking to colleagues at netflix it's a thing they're desperate to get done and so they're mm. really working hard to get more family programming really because what they're seeing in all their data same thing is families you know the, the mom's watching on the tv the dad's upstairs on the ipad and the kid's on his iphone and they're all watching separate streams of things but they're not getting families watching together mm-hmm. um, and and they know that's a problem because it actually doesn't build a, a connection and an affinity huh. and we knew on our show i want to make sure that we're putting things in here that make mom dad and even older siblings want to sit down and watch the show uh-huh um, and it's funny because this comes back to phil and mike when they were creating veggie tales they had done a, a puppet show on their college campus and as college kids are wont to do we're aware that when they were entertaining the kids there were adults present mm-hmm. or other friends of theirs in college so they're going to throw things into this little kid's puppet show to get those people to pay attention, right? Yeah. And to not yeah. be alienated either, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the kind of sing-songy, more irritating part of preschool entertainment. <laughs> um, that's the same thing we had. That, yeah. that We were just very aware that I have moms, dads, and older siblings, and I want to make sure we keep them in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say, as a grown person, I found that show tremendously entertaining. Yay. It's so fun. It's a funny, funny show. Which I would say, too, is the music. Uh, I just have to put a footnote in there because um, musically in these kind of shows, you can do really simple stuff, you know, mm-hmm. kind of plinkety-plinkety. Yeah. We wanted robust things, yeah. right? And so we got to pull together some of the great Nashville players. Yeah. We did a session down the street uh, with uh, Stuart Duncan 
and Kurt Heineke directed that session. He came out of it like I've never directed anything like that in my life, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff came in and and, and Jeff you know, Taylor, Jeff Taylor, and, and of course Buddy had already been on the show. Buddy Green. And, um, <laughs> uh, it was just a. I've got a little footage of that. I look forward to sharing someday. That you know we. They are not traditional kids musicians, uh, yeah. but we treated them, you know, and said, "Here's here's your people." Yeah, uh, that's so much fun. Yeah. Um, all right. I always end these conversations with this question. Okay. Who, uh, well, I'll adjust the question for you. I usually say, "Who are the writers that make you want to write?" So let me yeah. just say, "Who are the who are the people who make you want to create?" Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's always kid stuff. One of my favorite movies of all time, Dennis the Menace. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, anything, John Hughes with his kids and family stuff. So when you think about Home Alone and okay. that that territory uh, of just writing authentic people and families, like uh-huh. that's how my kids behave. That's how I behave. Minus some of the harsh language, but uh, yeah. th- those are like that kind of, uh, it's often a writer-director kind of pairings. Um, and so the Wes Andersons of the world, the Coen brothers, who the characters immediately come to life and are people that I've met. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, that is what I'm 100 percent drawn to, and I look for in both the story setting and characters that we want, and then the writers that I get to invite to the table. I, I want that kind of snap where when I read, I'm like, only so and so could say that, and you say it in such a way that's so authentic. Like I believe it. I don't feel like it's written prose. I feel mm-hmm. like you captured a moment in a family's life. You know, Phil had always talked about veggies as making um, Sunday school and our church life as kids normal. Mm-hmm. So I could talk fluidly about what I experienced at church uh, yeah. and then go right into the hallway at school, and it's one dialogue mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. conversation, and it's making what we experience in the Christian life normal. Yeah. The everyday, the Deuteronomy passage. We're mm-hmm. walking along the path, and I'm talking to you about a spiritual truth yeah. while we mow the yard and do this. Yeah. That is what I love. And so when I see that in film, in, in whether it's a Western or a kid's show, uh, I just love. You Wait, know. when you see, I'm sorry, when you see what in a Western? That kind of authentic, like, it's clear that you are really in that town, in the West, in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, the Cohen uh, uh, recent one on Netflix, uh, oh. The Ballad of Buster <laughs> yeah. Scruggs, you know, just authentic moments of, like, I've been there. Like, I yeah. grew up on a, on a farm, so it's, you know, uh-huh. uh, close to me. But that kind of thing, that's what I really respond to. Because I think we then can align to, as, as audience and viewers can go, yeah, that's my experience, mm-hmm. and, and you're expressing it now artistically, mm-hmm. but in a way that I identify and can maybe find uh, a way to connect to the truth even more strongly. You yeah, know, about that expressed. So, yeah, are there books that make you want to go make something? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm a fantasy guy. You know, uh-huh. uh, uh, right now, this may not work, Jonathan Rogers, but I'm attempting the Lord of the Rings as a read aloud with my kids. Okay. That's a lot of reading. That really is, and a lot of strange <laughs> so, words. We're halfway through fellowship, and uh, <laughs> we'll see if I can finish yeah. it, but uh, I thought it'd be a good try. Uh, yeah. I think I might have made it through the fellowship, but I don't think I made it past that. <laughs> I don't know if I will. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Well, great. Well, Chris Wall, thank you so much for being here. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Jonathan. And actually, I've learned a ton about how TV works. Cool. Great. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. 
The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.